Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. Okay, Evan, it's Not So Serious Sunday, and also... A very special Not So Serious Sunday. A very special podcast. Yes. <laughs> this is normally this is normally a voice that we use when we're warming up. When we're warming up. <laughs> and yes. testing the microphone. Yes. But it is a very, um, a very, um, what's the word, auspicious? Oh, nice. Day? I don't even know what that means, actually. I, I It's like it's, uh, it's like good suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a writer, everybody. <laughs> you are a writer. Um, so it's the 50th podcast so far that we've done, a milestone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and uh, not, another not-so-serious Sunday, so we're just going to get into it, but um, I think we'll probably end up talking a little bit about milestones and uh, things like that. That seems appropriate, yeah. yeah. Not like it was planned, but, you know, why not? It's 50, it, we've made it this far. I mean... Seems to fit. Yeah. One day it might not seem like much, but, um, you know, it's it's kind of cool because, you know, you start this this uh, podcast, you start doing this thing, and you don't really know where it's going to go or what's going to happen, and then, uh, you know, you just wake up one day and you're like, hey, it's the 50th podcast today. <laughs> So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know that we had talked about like, oh, maybe we should do something special and, and we'll drink champagne, but that didn't seem right. No. It's like, no, let's just do what we, we normally do. Yeah. Um, you know, we're sorry that Sean Penn, uh, wasn't able to be here today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sean was busy. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, milestones, that seems like, uh, good starting jumping off point here. Yeah. You know, I, I think about it. I I think milestones are good to acknowledge. Um, they're good to acknowledge because I think they're a a point of recognition where you look back at what you've done and you say, okay, well, Hey, like I've actually been doing work up to this point and it's not all just being thrown into some abyss or whatever, you know? Um, I think, uh, but I think with a milestone, I think it's not, something that you need to celebrate outwardly as much as it is a, uh, uh, an acknowledgement. You know, I think for me today, when I, before we started, I was like, oh yeah, it's the 50th. And I just thought, you know, that's a good accomplishment. I'm going to recognize that because we do this podcast and, um, you know, you don't really think about it and, and each one goes by, but, um, it's interesting when we talk to people about it and we're like, oh yeah, we've done 40, whatever podcasts. And they're like, whoa, you've done that many podcasts already. And, uh, I mean, you know, there's some people have done podcasts that are like in the 700s as far as I know, maybe more, who knows, but yeah, but, um, still, I mean, you know, we didn't just do three and then give up. Yeah. (laughs) So that's good. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's funny too, because, you know, almost looking like this had been at the beginning and we were talking about like, Oh, we're gonna like, we got to try and make it to 50 or something like that. Like that never really, that never really entered into the conversation. It was just like, well, let's just keep, keep recording it and see what we keep finding. Yeah. And, uh, and it's, it's a little unbelievable to me that, uh, we keep finding topics and keep finding things to talk about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. After 50, 50 episodes of this. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too, because I mean, one thing just 
opens up a Pandora's box to a whole bunch of other things. You know, even our last conversation, um, you know, the 49th podcast there, I think that opened up a lot of, a lot of, uh, things to look at further. And they definitely did for me and uh, since our last podcast. And, you know, I mean, one thing we were talking about in the last podcast, which I would recommend people listen to, we were talking about being pr- present, being in the moment, but, um, I've, I, um, you know, on the weekend there, my car got towed, you know that. And oh, yeah, it yeah. was in the middle of the night and I was, when I came back to it and I was like, what the hell? And what's funny is that there was a wheel next to where my car was parked. There was no cars there. Me and another person got towed from the party. There was no other cars there. And there was just a wheel and it was the exact same as my car. And I was like, my car is missing and my wheel is left behind. <laughs> That's the first thing. Yeah. And so I'm like, that can't be. And I look closer and I'm like, this is exactly the same wheel. And I even looked closely and, uh, it even had the same wear, you know, like the same <laughs> amount of wear. I was like, this is not, I'm like, but no way it can't be. Yeah. Right. And then we looked closer, we looked around and we realized that it was just a really weird spot where they tow after like a certain time. I don't understand why, but they do it. Um, so anyway, uh, it's like a hundred dollar ticket to get your, and then a $50 parking ticket. It's $150 for this. And, um, you know, I've been pretty good about being in the moment recently. And, uh, for a moment there I was like, and, and you know, it's funny cause I went back to earlier in the night and there was a spot down the street, which I could have taken, but I didn't. And then when I went back to it, it was taken cause I went to go grab some beer or whatever for the party. And, uh, yeah. And then I, I was kicking myself. I'm like, I should have taken that spot. And then I, I was like, I shouldn't have been in such a rush. I should have paid attention. I looked around, blah, blah, should, 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 whatever. Right. And then I started thinking about like, I just got paid some money for a course I'm doing like just that night, I got 150 bucks for this course that I'm doing. Right. And literally that night I got paid and that night that money just went like straight yeah. to like paying because like <laughs> what a waste. I'm just like, yeah. and, you know, and so, and then I was thinking about the future and I'm thinking about what well, we got to pay for the studio space. And now my bottom line just got lowered a little bit and blah, 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 whatever. And, um, it's funny because I'm like, okay. And I thought about that briefly and I accepted all those things. And then I just kept trying to get myself back in the moment because when I kept thinking about that, it was not very joyful, obviously. And I think, uh, I was talking with a friend after that and they were saying, you know, it's really good that you're acknowledging the past and the future. You're learning from the past and you're looking at where you made some mistakes here and you're looking at like what you could have done better to avoid that. You're looking at the future. You're seeing the consequences that occur for, you know, the error that you made. So it's registering with you that, you know, because I think that there is a problem if you're just walking around and you're just like, I'm just going to be in the moment all the time, no matter what, because there, you know, that's almost, and they, and my friend pointed out, it's like, you would be weird. Like you would be a weird person if you were in the moment all the time and you didn't really register the past or the future. And, and, um, and we ultimately came to the agreement that it was like, it's good to acknowledge once the past and the future in that moment, but then going back to it and thinking about it more and more without doing anything about it and and not trying to find any more, um, value out of it is actually a real negative, which takes you out of the moment. It's pointless. Well, I mean, I think it's sometimes when we, um, you know, when we focus on these things of, of like the past and the future, um, that really like those things that occur that we get like ourselves 
really worked up about. You know, it's like it's when it starts giving that giving you this sort of emotional thing when you're not looking at it objectively, you know, and and saying like, okay, like what is there to learn from this, and and what can I see in this, as opposed to what most of us do, which is you know we think about something that happened to us that really pissed us off or really upset us. And we just keep on churning that over and over and over and over again. And then we project that into the future and we say like, Oh, like, you know, I'm going to say this or, Oh, if, can you imagine if I was in this, if I'm in this situation with this person again, I'm going to, you know, I'm going <laughs> to tell them this or whatever. Right. And it's like, and that's when it becomes super unhealthy, right. very polluting and, and, and yeah, it's sort of a weird sort of, uh, weird sort of sick thing that we do to ourselves. Yeah. That we are like, like, why do you want to keep doing that and making yourself just like, just gross and upset? Yeah. It's funny, you know, it, it's funny. Cause I think that we can, we, it's, it's a, a an illusion or whatever. We kind of get deluded. We think that we can do something about it and somehow we'll be better armed. You know, I, I think a lot of the time with the ego and with the past and anger and stuff like that. I know this has been true for myself and I've talked to lots of people about this, but I think what happens is we feel like if we get into that place, we're more armed and more prepared for the future. And, um, I think that's why people get jaded because they carry that hurt and anger into the future into their moments because they go, I never want to be hurt again. So I'm going to be prepared. But what you don't realize is that you're, you're, it's like taking a toll on you and you're paying for it over and over and over again. And it's not really protecting you. In fact, yeah. all it's doing is just holding you away from actually having the thing that you really want. Yeah. You know? Um, you're just putting more protections around yourself and you're, and yeah, you're closing yourself off to a degree. Totally. Yeah. Do you remember that Seinfeld episode where, um, it was, uh, what's his name? Um, what's the little bald guy's name? Oh, George. George. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So George, um, was at work or whatever at the, I guess, I think it was the baseball. Yeah. It was the Yankees. And he's eating the shrimp. And then the guy, this, the guy goes, Hey, uh, George, the shrimp store called and they're looking for you or whatever. Right. Or the ocean called. They want their shrimp back. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. The ocean called. They want their shrimp back. (laughs) And so then he's, he's, he's embarrassed. And then he's in the cab or whatever on the way home. And he's like, oh, I got this idea. So the next time that this happens, he plans to like, to say this to this guy, right? Yeah. So he sets it all up where he's like, the jerk store called and they're looking for you. And then the guy's in the moment though, and he turns it around on him again. Yeah. I don't remember what he says, but it's really funny because it was I mean, something like, uh, like, like hell you're, you're, you're their, you're their number one, you're their number one customer. Or yeah. Something right. Like yeah. That. That's it. Yeah. So he, and and then, and then he's driving again in the cab and he thinks of another one, but he's always like in the past, you know, and trying to bring something unnatural into the future instead of like being in the moment, you know, and that's why it's so funny. But I think it's a good comment on how a lot of us do our life in certain ways. Like we're not, most of us are probably not that ridiculous, but you know, cause it's making a joke, yeah. but we do it that way. It's weird because we, we think in the past, we, we come up with an idea of how we'll do the future. Yeah. And then of course the future comes and you're not prepared for the moment because the moment isn't how you predicted it didn't yeah. work out the exact same way. And the person who's on their toes and, and adjusting to the moment is going to 
be able to work yeah. with it, right? So yeah, no, absolutely, and and yeah, we talked a, a lot about this on our on our last one too. But um, actually, there's a short a, a shorty. It's it's uh, am, a I already, am I already getting there already? No. <laughs> um, but there was uh, a story I didn't tell in the last one that had crossed my mind. It was about the same exact type of thing where you have this imagined, you know, situation for the future, you know, this thing that, you know, you have coming up, mm-hmm. like, that's the only thing that, you know, is true. It's like, well, I have this thing I'm doing. And in this particular instance, it was uh, a girl that I was going to break up with. Right. Right. And oh, this is a personal story. Yeah, this is a personal story. Okay. And so I thought like, well, you know, based on how long we've been seeing each other and how things have been going, <laughs> this shouldn't be too big a deal. Right. You know, like I'll, you know, like I'll just be honest and I'll say like, Hey, like, I just don't think that this is, you know, this is, this is working like as like a, as like a romantic relationship and blah, blah, blah. And, and I'm sure it'll, it'll all be okay. And, and she'll probably be cool with that. And, you know, it'll maybe be like a 15 minute conversation and, you know, we'll hug and we'll part ways. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Keep going. (laughs) Well, so (laughs) I just love how you envisioned it already playing out. Yeah, no, absolutely. (laughs) And next thing you know, I'm, and it, for whatever reason, it ended up, this conversation ended up happening in a chapters. Regardless. <laughs> a bookstore. A bookstore. Chapters bookstore. They don't have chapters in the States? Uh, they might. They might. I think they do. I thought it was another bookstore they usually yeah. go to. Whatever. But anyhow. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I kind of saved, like, my, my spiel, more or less, of what I had planned on saying, right? And she just was looking at me. And she says, are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) And it was like everything just like blown out the window at that point. And it was like a two hour conversation. Really? There afterwards. And it was like not what I thought was going to happen at all. (laughs) (laughs) So she took it well. (laughs) (laughs) No, (laughs) no, she didn't. (laughs) And it legitimately surprised me. Yeah. Um, how hard she took it. Um, but yeah, there you go. Yeah. (laughs) The point of the story is, is that you just don't know. No, you don't know. You have absolutely no idea. I had lots of good sort of educated reasons why I thought it would be a pretty like civil, you know, pretty easy sort of like a, you know, parting of ways, lots of good reasons, Mm -hmm. you know, but you just have no idea, right? You just have absolutely no idea as the story perfectly (laughs) illustrates. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. You know, um, so I was watching a Ted talk actually last night and it was about, um, how to choose, how to make a network show that is going to be a hit or whatever. And they talk about how, um, like there's basically, this is a great talk and we should put it on the link, but, um, there's two shows that were made. There was one called, um, at the time one was called alpha house and the other was called, um, which we all know to be as Mad Men. And 
not many people know of Alpha House, but everybody knows Mad Men pretty yeah. much, right? And so <clears throat> the, 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 the way with Alpha House is Amazon, I guess it was, um, took all the data. They took all the data and they broke down all the data and then they put all the data together. And what they basically deducted was that people wanted to show about, you know, um, or no, sorry, it wasn't, it was, sorry, it was not Mad Men. I, I wrong show. I'm going to, okay. I'll, I'll reveal the other show in a second. All right. But as a show, it's well known. I, I totally made a mistake. So Alpha, Alpha House, I guess it's called, was, um, with all the data breaking, broken down and then put back together. And they made an assumption that people wanted a show about politics and that it would be about these four politicians or whatever. I don't know, something like that. I don't know the show, Yeah. but, um, and it wasn't obviously a hit. It didn't, didn't work very well. And that many people know it. And then, uh, what was it? I, I guess it was, um, Netflix, Google, whatever they took. Um, they took all the data, but they looked at it more. They, they broke the data down, but they looked at it more using, um, just using their emotional understanding, you know? So they actually came up with house of cards, which now everybody knows about and house of cards was actually a huge hit. And, um, and alpha house was no one even knows about it. And, um, at the, ultimately at the end of the conversation, you know, which I think watch it in detail to get more of an idea, but basically that <clears throat> we can break data apart and we can look at it individually and that's good. But when we try to take all that data that we've broken down and put it back together and make some type of prediction, just by putting the data back together, it often doesn't work because there is another, there's another component to it, which, you know, which is part of what being human is, which is like your emotional understanding and your connection and all this other stuff. Yeah. And they, they don't go into it too, too far into that, but I found it to be a really interesting talk because, um, you know, that, that situation with the, with the girlfriend, it's almost like you took all the data, you, you said, okay, well, we've been dating for this long. This is how it's been going. Da, da, da. And you looked at all those pieces and then you put all those pieces back together. And then you said, okay, based on this data, I'm going to go do this. But, um, in, in some ways you might think and look back and go, well, maybe like there was more to observe from like an understanding point, like a more of an emotional understanding yeah. and stuff like that. That wasn't just based on these things. Cause I've been in that situation as well, where you think, you know, I, um, dating someone for a really short period of time and they've become really emotionally attached. And maybe I haven't at that point, but I'm recognizing it's not working for me. And then their response is, is, you know, they're very hurt because they think, well, there's a lot going on. And so it's kind of, obviously we're not very connected, but I think that sometimes as men, we do that a lot where we try to take all the data and we try to go, okay, well, based on everything I know, this is how things are, whatever. Yeah. And, and I think that, cause I think that's a way of us trying to predict and go into the future but I think it backfires in our face a lot. I'm not saying women don't do it as well, but I think, uh, as men, we kind of try to predict what we're getting into. You know what I mean? Men can in not always, but, um, we can be a little bit more linear Yeah. in terms of our thinking. Yeah. Women tend to be a little more holistic. They actually think about like, you know, the emotions and things like that. Whereas, you know, we're, we're kind of dumb that way, you know, I guess I'll do this, you know? Um, but, uh, you know, it's sometimes I think that's good for us because we can just get things done and not think too much about it and feel too much about it. But sometimes I think it really backfires yeah. in our face. Well, because, I mean, it's, it's a balance of all yeah. things, you know, it's neither, neither better nor worse than, no. than anything, but anything can be too, 
too much. Yeah. <laughs> one way or the other at the same time. Well, yeah, no, it's interesting. I always thought House of Cards was, was um, based on a British series, but it's possible that they took the data and they saw that, oh, okay, well, it says that there's a political show that people want, and then they adapted something that was already sort of there, because, yeah, it was a BBC show or something like that years ago yeah, called was, House yeah. of Cards. And um, uh, I'm not sure, uh, I'm not exactly sure uh, the whole thing, but the TED Talk is there, you know, you yeah. can listen to that and then and see, well, what you, see what you think. But yeah. that's really interesting, I mean, it, um, you know, there's a really, it's considered like a modern classic. I, I found it was difficult to get through at certain points, but there is a book called, um, Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's a very sort of philosophic type of book. And it makes this, um, it makes this argument that, you know, because, um, there's all these different schools of thought on how you, how you measure something, uh, objectively and subjectively, which one, which one is a better measurement? Objective is a more sort of scientific look at something. And then the subjective, obviously it's, there's, it's a little bit more malleable. It's a little bit less predictable and you know, it's, it, it's harder to say yet. Um, so the argument that the book makes is that there's this whole element of quality. Mm. There's a quality to something that's kind of that's sort of ingrained, but in both of these, in both of these elements. So, uh, you know, we tried to compare it. It, it takes a massive book to sort of explain this concept. So if you ever feel like trying to wrap your head around some crazy ideas, highly recommend this book. Mm -hmm. I might revisit it myself actually, because I feel I'd have new perspectives on it. Um, but you know, there's, there's different sort of schools of thought that think that like, no, like in terms of the value of something, right. Uh, if you looked at it as like a sort of almost like a pyramid or like a branching tree, you know, like at the top, you know, some people would like the scientific community might say like object objectivity is of the, uh, is like the sort of, is sort of God mm -hmm. of all things. Right. And then quality would sort of shoot out from there. Right? right. And it would like the quality of something is based on your objective measure of something. But his argument is that it's like, no, it comes, quality comes first. You know, like we, there's something where that for some reason we can, we can all like on a, not across the board, but you can get a large group of people who say that something is good there's something inherently that we say, yes, that is good. Mm -hmm. It's like, and what, what is that exactly? And there's lots of interesting arguments that, um, there's like these two different math systems that exist in the world and they completely contradict each other, but they can both produce the same results, hmm. but they cannot work together. Like you have to pick one system or the other, but you could build the exact, you could build the same structure with, with each of these systems. Like, so how does that, how does that work? Right. right. <laughs> it's kind of a mind bender on yeah, it, totally. but, um, I'm, and I'm probably not doing this complete justice, but for some reason I felt this was sort of pertaining to, to our conversation here. I think it's a good topic to get into because I think, uh, with, with art, you know, there is the objective and subjective side to things. And, um, I think where 
companies and studios and producers and whatever when they and and you know producers of movies producers of music whatever art even I suppose when they try to produce something based on objective results based on objectivity alone I think you end up with something that's very flat very soulless very empty and although it has all the right components you almost don't understand why it doesn't work yeah but if you go all subjective and no objectivity then you end up with something that really has no um it doesn't it doesn't well, it, it could work, but it would be a fluke because it doesn't really have much basis in like, you know, looking at and understanding like what kind of works, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think, um, you know, I think objectivity and subjectivity it, as artists, we need to really find that balance. Yeah. And, um, I think that's, you know, that's a lot of what we're talking about where industry meets artistry. I think industry is very objective in a lot of ways. It tries to be. And, um, artistry is very subjective. And so, we're trying to figure out in any medium that we're in is how do we bring those two things together? And I think if we're, if we try and just be science, you know, scientists about it, we're not going to come up with stuff that, you know, has levels because the other thing too, is one thing I found about art is that usually the artists, when they create something, I don't think that they actually know and understand the depth to what they've created until people, the experiencer comes along and sees something that they didn't even realize they wrote. Just to give you an example, I remember, well, I wrote lots of scripts when I was younger and sometimes I'll pick them up and I'll read them and I'll be like, you know, and especially when it was a throwaway script, when it was a script that was like, I'm never really going to make it. I'm just going to write something and put it to the side. Those were usually the best because they, they were, there was something in them. There was some kind of truth in them at the time I didn't see at all, Mm -hmm. but because of where I was at in my life and because of my understanding, um, something came out in the characters and in the struggle. And I look back at that and I go, wow, that's, that's almost hard for me to recreate now because I'm not the same person I was when I was there, you know? And so technically I have more objective awareness now, but my subjective place I was in at that time made me a great writer for that specific topic of those types of characters in a way. And I think that that is something that we will always continue to do. And I think it's all in, it's almost important that we do that. Like, even if you're taking on subject matter that is completely sort of alien to you, there's something that you find in your work that is a, really about what sort of where you are in your own life. And then everything else is just sort of a different set of circumstances that you've created around it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know, my script on the highway. Like I look back at that, that script now from when I wrote it and it's just like, you know, for me, it was like at the time, like I didn't necessarily have, a, like, I think there was maybe a degree to which I was aware of this. You know, I, I was aware that I was writing something that was, that was particular to, to the point of time in my life and to some of my own feelings. But for the most part, I was like, well, I'm going to write this, uh, I'm going to write this road trip movie, uh, about these guys who just like, who don't know each other and they, (laughs) and they screw off to escape their problems. But, you know, now I look at that, I was like, oh, wow. Like that's just like a whole, (laughs) it's like a whole like structural breakdown of where my head was at, Mm -hmm. you know, at that time in my life. And so it's really interesting to look at that, but yeah, it's like my, that's not really, where my head is anymore. I can remember it. Mm -hmm. I can sort of cast my mind back into that place, but I, I, 
can't really live there anymore. It's cause that's not where I live anymore. Right. Yeah. You know, I think, um, I think sometimes it does us a disservice to try to understand art too much, to try to make it into a science. And, you know, I see some people trying to do it. And I think, and there's a certain, there's a certain way in which it, there is a science to it. And there's a, there's, I think that there's principles to any art that you Mm -hmm. can understand. But I think that if you try to follow some type of, you know, some type of equation that you think, if I just do this equation, I'll come up with the right answer. It just, it doesn't work that way. And, uh, I think, um, it's the worst thing that we can do. Um, you know, when I think about story, like, you know, a lot of clients that work with me know that I really am, I'm, I'm, I'm really committed to structure. But when I look at structure, I don't look at it like an equation. Like if I just do all this, everything will work. I look at it like a set of principles and I look at it in, in the sense that, you know, it can be the opposite. It can change, but everything has a cause and effect on each other. And that's, and that's really what I'm trying to keep in mind. So when I'm helping people with structure, I'm kind of helping them like, like, and once they see it, they start to see that they would almost do it anyway. But being aware of it helps you be more mindful because then you don't get lost because you know, like, you kind of recognize, oh, well, if I do this over here, it will have an effect over here. And this is how, you know, this is how it will affect the story. This is how it will affect the characters in the story. This is how it will affect the audience that's watching it. And if you have that in mind, that's just a principle. But it's it's a principle because it's different for every story. You know, every story could use that same principle, but the emotional impact will be different. The effect on the characters will be different. The effect on the story will be different. And I think that, um, you know, with, with art, we need to find that line between objectivity and, and subjectivity because, you know, it's objective because the principle is kind of similar in every story you'll see, but it's subjective because every single story is different. Even within the same genre, every story is different. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you're on the highway has those points, you know, that was one thing that I looked for when I, you know, kind of thought, should we get this thing made or not? And it has those principles, but you did it in your own way. So at the time I know that you didn't know those principles. I, I remember where you were at. So what's interesting is that you still hit those principles, but you did it in a subjective way, like, which yeah. is really cool. Well, I mean, it's like, we've, I mean, we've learned, been learning story since we were, since we were children, you know, since we were infants from the books that we were, we've read and the countless movies and right. TV shows that we've seen, like story is kind of ingrained in us to a degree. Yeah. Um, and, and there is, I mean, we've talked at great length about this sort of thing. Like there's reason why these things are there and, and, you know, for whatever medium, uh, to listeners on the other end, whatever medium you're in, you have the same, you have your own principles. There's these objective things that you say, it's like, okay, well, these are like components that if you do all of them, it doesn't guarantee you that you're going to produce a great work, but they do kind of help you stay they do kind of help you stay the course. You know, um, I remember, uh, um, Larry Silverberg, he was saying like, you know, uh, in, in acting, you know, you have your character, you say your character has an objective, right? And I remember him explaining it as if it's like, you know, think of it as like, you're like, they're sort of like these, almost like these bumpers 
or whatever that are on this like open path that you're on. Mm -hmm. And, and it'll tell you like when you've kind of gone outside of it, you know, you'll see where you've gone outside of it, but like, it helps you to kind of like stay within in your end, as opposed to like just being absolutely everywhere, which is what will happen if you, if you don't have these objective measures and when you don't have these, these technical structures that, that exist for a reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, Matthew Harrison, who I studied with a lot as well, he said that as well. It's like these bumpers, it's like, you know, you stay within here and, and you're, <clears throat> I, I don't know how he put it exactly, but kind of your subjectivity, your understanding of the character will fall within that. And, um, the part of the thing is, is what, what the writers and the directors have done is they've kind of created that and they might be trying to push you more into the other side or whatever, but it's, it's not like one line. We're not following some thin, like string line. We're following kind of a path. And on that path, you know, you can, you can kind of, you know, walk that path in different ways and you can be on different sides of that path at different times. And the train can be different on either side of it, but you're still walking down that same path. You're, you know, and when you're off in the bush, you'll know you're off in the bush in a sense, because yeah. you know, you're, you're going to struggle, you know, cause you're going to struggle to get through. Yeah. It's not, there's, and you might get completely lost in there too, right. <laughs> which can happen when you're, when you're creating, you know, when you're in that space and suddenly it's like, you know, writer's block is, is, I think another way of being like, I've, I've completely lost sight of, of where I am. Totally. Yeah. And I think sometimes, you know, when you're trying to create something new, you're trying to like blaze a trail. Um, you know, you're, you're going into unknown territory and you're trying to like hack your way through it. And, uh, I think it's a struggle. And I think, you know, once you carve the path, other people will follow with ease behind you, which will almost seem frustrating because it was so hard for you to do. But I think, um, as artists, sometimes, the path is not well worn. Sometimes it's a path that, you know, you just know that where you're going is on the other side and you're clear and you just believe that. And you, maybe you don't know, but you're willing to hack through the bush and go and try, try that out. And I I think sometimes you're going to find out that you're going to end up in this really magnificent place ultimately. And you'll take in this amazing journey. And sometimes you'll end up at a cliff edge and you'll be like, what the hell did I just walk over to? And you'll realize I just have to go back. You know, this isn't going to work. Mm-hmm. But I think, um, you know, art and, and all of this is not just about following the well-worn path. Sometimes it's about hacking your way through and trying something else. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I think we're all, we're all making a path. And, um, you know, I think especially as an actor, I think, uh, one of the big things that as for actors is because film is such a big medium, you have to remember that you're one piece of that trail, right? Like, um, just like everybody who's a part of it. Like, I don't, like, I think if you come onto set thinking that you're blazing the trail when the script's already been written and all that stuff, you're, the trail's already been made. You're maybe finding more unique ways to take it, which are more interesting. Yeah. But I don't think, you know, an actor, um, would come on to say a a script that's already written like a a structured script and, um, you know, and think, you know, you look at like, say, uh, we were just talking about Pirates of the Caribbean. You look at Johnny Depp, right? Um, well, Hey buddy. Um, and you're looking at, you're looking at that, uh, you're looking at a movie and the way he did it, um, you know, kind of, in many ways, like made that series. Right. Yeah. But he, he had to be given the vehicle 
to be able to express that way. And he was willing to risk his expression, you know, that way. And so uh, ultimately, you know, I think this is what we're trying to find, you know, and, and the studio, from what I understand, from an objective point of view, they were like, oh, this isn't going to work. Right. But subjectively he, you know, he took a risk. Yeah. And I mean, the thing is, is that, and, and I don't know exactly why that's the direction he chose to take, but in terms of this whole thing of blazing a trail, you know, it's, um, it's one of those things where it's like, well, if you're, if you're blazing a trail, like if you're really doing something like completely, like very different or from like very far away from what most people would probably be expecting, that why comes very important. Mm -hmm. Um, because if you don't have a good answer to that, why you're doing it, it probably means it's bullshit. Mm -hmm. Probably means that you're just doing it for the sake of doing it or for the sake of being interesting or for the sake of being like, well, I did something like I blazed, I blazed a trail. Like, look at me. Yeah. It's like, well, great. But I mean, you know what, again, I mean, I, I say this over and over again in artistic medium, it's, it's for communication. Yeah. Like we're here to communicate the human experience, no matter what art form you're in. And unless you're, what you're doing is serving some piece of that communication, you know, that, that you feel like within you, you know, whether you want to call it work, like from your heart or from your soul or whatever you want to say that is, um, you know, it's important that that's there that reason for why you're doing that. I mean, I'm sure Johnny Depp had a very great reason other than just being like, Oh, it would be super interesting if I did this, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure he found, found, however, he sort of discovered that character of Jack Sparrow it happened in a real sort of organic way. That wasn't from like, I'm Johnny Depp and I'm going to play like a really bizarre and interesting pirate. Yeah you know? He, yeah. No, it, I, it, I don't think it was an ego based decision. I think and, it was something where he actually really felt that it would help the story. Yeah. And honestly, like my theory is, is that if, if you do make decisions like that, people can tell. Yeah. People can tell where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. And it comes to that quality thing again, too. Yeah. You know, it's like, if you're just doing it and there's not a good reason for why you're doing that, then, then, you know, you, it calls into question the reason for something for, for it being in existence. Right. And there's just, there is, there's a quality to it that you're just like, I don't know what this is, but it's just not working for me. Mm -hmm. I just, that's not working. Right. Um, and you know, I mean there, I guess there is a certain degree of subjectivity that will enter into that equation no matter what. Some people probably hate what Johnny Depp did in Pirates of the Caribbean, but for the most part, people really loved it. Mm -hmm. And there's what, six movies now, or like five that have been made and another, another one on its way. That's a testament to, to that, that series that this movie franchise doesn't really exist without that portrayal of this character through Johnny Depp. Right. Um, so there is a pretty, what do you mean? Everyone watched it for Orlando (laughs) Bloom. That's what you said. (laughs) (laughs) whoa (laughs) i don't mind orlando bloom but anyhow um (laughs) um but anyhow like it's it is there's i think people do have have this sort of sense 
and, and we can sense when something isn't authentic. And if you don't have that, that why reason people will just turn away. Like we'll just, we'll just shut it off. And there's nothing that I can really think of just off of the top of my head. But, you know, I know that I've seen, you know, films and shows and I've seen actors doing something that's just kind of really out there and feeling so disconnected from it Mm -hmm. because I'm like, well, this is so like, it's, you know, there's, there's no deep well to this, you know, it's like a shallow pool of water that you're working from. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. I think they're working from the ego. I I think that's what it's all about. It's like, I want to look great, be great or whatever. Yeah. And so you're doing it from there. It's, uh, I watched uh, another Ted video actually last night. Um, and it was one on purpose. It's one of the top videos right now. Um, we link this one as well because it's a really good one. But um, he was talking about, and I think you were mentioning this actually earlier too, which is funny. But he was talking about how, um, you know, you you know, purpose, our purpose, and our fulfillment, and our happiness and joy in life is is about the value we offer. It's about the service we can give to the world. It's um, you know about our contribution, and when we try to do these things from the ego, you know, we don't, we don't get that happiness, that joy, that satisfaction, that fulfillment, and we don't know why. And, um, and it, you know, I think that when you're an artist, if you're doing something for the ego, you know, if you're doing something for self-fulfillment, but from a place of, I want to look good and I want to be valuable or whatever, because, this is what I'll do to make myself valuable without thinking about what does it offer? What does it contribute? How does it help? I think what ends up happening is it is shallow, you know, and it's shallow because it's just about you. When you go out in the world and you try to help and you try to have a service and, and create something and contribute, I think people really get that you're contributing. And I think that's what they're seeing. I think they're yeah. seeing that you're really contributing. Like, um, at no point in say Pirates of the Caribbean did I see Johnny Depp take away from the story by look how great I am. Everything yeah. he did in my opinion was, especially in the first one was, um, really like this really helps the story. It seemed to contribute. It seemed to help all the other actors and characters respond and deal with them and, and all this stuff. And I think that, uh, you know, in art and in life, you know, if we look at how we contribute, we look at the value we give, um, you know, there's something that, that really lands with people. Yeah. And you know, when someone's contributing, I mean, I don't know if you ever remember being in like school and you had to do a report and you got paired up with like four or five people. And there was one person who was like a slacker who was just trying to get the good grade and let everyone else work. Everyone knew that person wasn't contributing. You know, it's like very obvious. And then the people who are contributing, especially when you're contributing, you really value it. And I think, um, I think in life, like in art, we notice when people contribute. And I think that when we contribute, we also, we acknowledge the fact that we've contributed and we feel good about that and we feel fulfilled. So I think that, you know, what you're, what you're alluding to, what you're pointing out is that, yeah, like if you, if you act and you're like, I'm going to, or do any type of art, but you do it because you want to look good or you do it to serve your ego, you're, you know, you're, you're ultimately in very shallow, you're in you're very shallow water and you're not going to get that fulfillment. And I think people will you know, ultimately see through that. Um, and I think you worst of all, even if people don't, you'll see through it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I, I think that there's, um, you know, it, and yeah, that whole thing of how can you, you ever possibly go sort of beyond what you're 
you think you're currently capable of doing unless you're, you're, you have, you have some, someone else in mind or something else in mind as far as like, what am I, what am I giving to the world? Because if it's all about what am I giving to myself, you've, it's a very limiting thing to do, mm-hmm. you know, like you're, because then you're sort of stuck in your own microcosm, yeah. you know, of your own, your own mind and your own, you know, and it's all in how, how does that relate to out here, to the needs of the world, to what people are asking for, to what people are, are wanting in their lives. And if you're able to think about that, to put that into how you, how you create your work. Uh, I think that it can take you to places that you didn't think that you, you could go or yeah. places that you didn't even know existed. You know, I know that that's, uh, again, that was something that, that Larry always taught us in, in Meister and a message that I had tried to pay for that, that he did is he would say, you're, you know, in acting he says your, your partner will take you further than you ever dreamed possible. And it's so true. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know that from experiencing that from going from a place for years and years and years and years of, you know, doing scenes and being in scene studies and plays and whatever. And as if for me as an actor, I had to just control everything as if I had to just like, and if it didn't work, I just had to go back and, and plan out how I was going to control it even better. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and, and it's, it's craziness, you know, it was just, there's probably some great old expression for it that, that I can't think of right now, but you know, it's almost like the blind leading the blind to a degree. It's just like, this is the thing that got me to this place to begin with, but now I'm going to go back to that process to try and fix it. Doesn't make any damn sense. Right. Mm -hmm. So it took someone like Larry and it took, you know, the Meisner technique, to basically like put your attention out there, take the attention off of yourself, right? Put it out there, put it out there, really take that person in. Yeah. You know, and, and see what happens. And what happens is that like, you just suddenly like you're, you're on this, you're on this ride that you've never experienced before through, through the medium of acting. Right. And that's why it was such a transformational thing for me. It was like, it was like an awakening for me as an actor. Well, I think you're bringing up a really good point because I think, you know, we, our last talk was all about being in the moment. And I, I thought a lot about this over the, over the course of this week, because I was, you know, I was checking in with myself and, uh, and I think if you're thinking too much about yourself in the moment, that's not you know, it's not going to work. And I think that's where people fail. I think where, and I know I've failed before is where if I'm in the moment, but I'm thinking about myself, all I'm going to be thinking about is feeling good and being comfortable and, you know, and how am I looking? How am I looking? What am I getting? Blah, 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 whatever. And, but if you're in the moment, but you're outward focused and you're focusing on what's around you and you're not thinking about yourself, I mean, you might check in with yourself, but you're not just focused on yourself you know, you're going to find that you're going to feel a lot of joy. And, and I, that's what I'm finding more and more. And I think that, you know, the ego, our ego wants us to focus on ourselves. It wants us to get our attention back on ourselves as much as possible. And, um, it, you know, and it, it wants us to always make sure that we're looking good and appearing a certain way and getting what we need, you yeah. know? And, um, I think when you're 
I think when you're not in that place, I think that place is such a place of scarcity too. Yeah. Because, you know, um, you know, and it, it's an well, interesting thing. Like, like when people go, well, me first, I'm going to look out for me first. You know, you create a world where everybody in your opinion is going to be me first when you do that. Yeah. And now you're, you know, you're in this lonely place and I don't think it feels good. Yeah, no. And, and I think that, um, to, to just, there's what you had said in there, the, and there's something like that, that the ego does, but I mean, to put the attention on yourself, it's this whole thing of, of separation and, and isolating yourself. And I'm different from, from everyone else. And when you, when you reach out, like the, the thing is you might actually connect to somebody that's <laughs> right. Like, does that make sense yeah. to what I'm saying or yeah. what you were saying? I think so. Yeah. Well, I think also when you reach out to somebody and you connect with other people, it really can quickly call out that your ego is full of shit. Yeah. You know, like, uh, you know, and your like, ego wants you to think that you are separate yeah, it from does. everyone. Yeah. yeah. And the thing is, is like some of, some of your ideas and some of what you think, you know, and this just goes for everybody. It's just total bullshit. You made it up in your head or someone told you who didn't know. And you think, you know, and you're walking around like, you know, go in the world and start talking about it. And you know what? You'll start to realize that if you're around anybody with integrity, who's willing to call you out, you'll realize that some of the stuff you've been thinking is total bullshit. And, um, and you know, it's good. And I think that the thing is, is about communicating and connecting with other people. You know, you start to actually, put into perspective what's going on for you. You know, I think when you're caught in your own head and thinking about yourself too much, you can get this inertia of like, you know, making a big deal out of something that really isn't a big deal. You know, there's a video that came across my feed about, you know, um, in Syria and and that, like what's going on for people. And, um, this little kid, uh, they were wheeling his, his father on a gurney down a hallway and, and his, and his father was like, I don't know, but looked like he was dead, you know? And the, and the, and the, the kid was there crying, trying to, you know, pick his dad's head up and the body's just limp. You know what I mean? And you think about that and you go, when you see something like that, when you connect out to the outward world outside of, you know, your little bubble, especially when you're in first world or whatever, and you see something like that, you start to go, what's my problem? You know, I'm worried that I, you know, that I, that I don't have the partner that I want or, or whatever, whatever's going on. I mean, all this stuff, like, like the way we think, like the problems we think we have, you know, they're, they're, they're so meaningless in the scheme of things. They're so like, they're, they're not worth the emotional like drudgery we create about it all, but we use that drudgery so that we can help reinforce the ego and create some kind of story about, you know, like, what am I going to do? And I'm going to walk around and complain about how like, you know, we lost everything when I was a kid, when I was 14 years old, we lost everything. You know, am I going to walk around? I'm going to complain about that. And I'm going to say, well, I'm this person because blah, 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 whatever. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But you know, like at the end of the day, like I was listening to a talk, someone else the other day, they were saying, I've been listening to talks. I was listening to a lot of talks. Yeah. But they were saying like, you know, my problems in first world country, about having to go from living, like living in a trailer park, that isn't even real poverty. Real poverty is being like when I was in El Salvador and look at these families living in tin shacks without windows, sleeping on dirt. 
You know, it's living homeless. It's, you know, there's, there's so much other stuff. And so like in our ego, our ego wants us to make that into a big deal. And I'll tell you this, when I was younger, I made that stuff into a big deal. Now I look at it and I I go, that was all my ego, my ego trying to reinforce itself. Like your problems were real. You're special, blah, 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 all this other stuff. Right. And it's like, when you're in a place of service, whatever's going on in your external world. And I know this more than ever in my life. Now, whatever is going on in your life doesn't matter anymore. It's, it's really irrelevant. Cause when you check in in the moment, you go, I'm fine. Like I'm fine. I, I have a house. I know where I'm going to sleep tonight. I know what I'm going to eat. If I have trouble, I have some people to call. All my real issues are taken care of everything else about, you know, needing money, needing friends, needing success, needing all this other stuff. None of that matters. And I think that when we get caught up in that stuff, that's our ego saying you need this to be okay. And that's what takes us away from our joy. It's what takes away from everything. Ironically, if you are just connected in the moment and looking how you're served, how you're of service to everyone else and how you're benefiting and contributing, not that you're not taking care of yourself, but how you are a value because you give value, you will ironically get everything that you want. So we, we have this total paradigm like of the ego, which it actually, it's like, we're trying to go out there in the world and use it as a tool. And I think some, in some ways it works, but a lot of time it just hurts us. And I think even when you do get the money and you do get the success that it hurts you because you, you thought it convinced you that you needed this stuff to feel fulfillment and happy. And, you know, and now it's just actually trapped you more because now your stuff is more bound to your ego. Well, yeah. I mean, and and, you know, as, as in the wise words of, uh, Tyler Durden, (laughs) you know, your stuff ends up owning you. Yeah. And, and even the stuff that you don't own, I go even so far as to say that even the stuff you don't own ends up owning you. Yeah. You know, all the stuff that you want to have ends up owning you. And it's just like, is that all that you are? Mm -hmm. Is that your worth? You know, is that really what you are as a human being living, existing on this planet is, you know, uh, is, is a million, you know, million dollar mansion or, or a, or a or yacht status or a, you know, like, is that, is that what you are? Like, is that all that your character is made up of? And well, it's kind of crazy. Like when you present it kind of, but that's the thing is that that's how we, that's how we act. That's how we behave in our lives, you know? And it's like, it's, and for a reason, I mean, like we've been sort of feeding ourselves this and perpetuating this whole, whole thing. But when you, when you actually sort of look at the whole, at the whole kind of game of it, (laughs) at the whole way that it all works and how we conduct our lives to a large degree, especially in, you know, the Western world, you, and, and you look at it objectively, (laughs) you're just like, whoa, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. It's completely crazy. It's tough because, you know, I think, um, we're really bound to it because people in the world, um, live by that. And so, um, in a lot of ways, I think we attract, we think we're attracting what we want by, by pretending to be a big deal, you know, like for men, you know, having status or having wealth or whatever for women having beauty and, and being liked or whatever, you know, and, and any variation of that, you know, our society teaches us that if you have these things, you'll be valuable. You will get what you want in the world and whatever. And, um, I think on a very surface level, you kind of, you kind of do, but then it lacks the depth. And so 
you know, you, you don't get to have, you don't get to have both. And so it's hard for us to like, I know it's, it was really hard for me as a man to kind of step back and, you know, and not let my status be something that defined me and not let my wealth be something that defined me. And, you know, and kind of to risk kind of getting rid of it all to try to rebuild. It was the hardest thing in the world. But ultimately I think what ends up coming back is that you realize that all of that is all made up anyway. You know, when you start to see through it, you start to see that it's all, it's all crazy. And yes, when, when you have status, I know as a man, like, you know, when you have status and you have position, you know, it tends to be that, you know, you, you, there's more people that want to be around you. There's more women that will like you. There's more men who want to be your friends. There's more, there's a more of a lot of stuff that comes along, but, but so much of it is so fake. And so then the thing is, is that you go, well, you can kind of create this illusion around you, but it's not real because they're just there because of this perceived status or this perceived thing that you have. The real question is, and I think what really builds real connection is what's the value that you offer to people. And when you start to get down to that, you realize you don't need wealth or status to offer great value to people. And then the thing is, if you do have money and, and, and status or whatever, then you offer value from you just have more means to do it, but you're not getting people because you have the wealth and status. I mean, I think we're all hanging out with each other and we're all connected with each other because in some way we give each other value. But if we're trying to trade it off, like I'll give you this value so I can get this from you. I think that's the wrong way to look at life. I think we need to look at life from like, you know, um, you're someone that I care about and like, so this is how I want to contribute to this whatever you give back is whatever you're going to give back. That's fine. But I'm not doing it to get something back from you. I'm doing it because that's who I want to be. And that's, you know, and that I'm connected to myself. Yeah. And the thing is when that comes from a genuine place, people know that you're not trying to get something from them. They can feel that. And also you have more genuine relationships because the people who are users, you'll identify that and you'll cut them out. And the people who aren't will really appreciate it, you know, but I can say like, you know, having some wealth and status, that the people who are using you, they don't appreciate it. They just want more, 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 yeah. more. It doesn't make them a bad person, but it makes them caught up in the same game. Yeah. And so then that's, that's the life you live. Right. But I think you can, I know I'm talking a bit here, but I know you can, you can, you can help people break that and you'll feel more joyful yeah. by not being so in the, in that. Yeah. I just wanted to add to that, that, um, I think that it can work both ways. It, it does work both ways you know, wealth and status, whether you have a lot of it or none of it, seemingly it can be, it, it can be, it's an, it's a negative thing either way. Like neither wealth one is status or negative. Like, like what I mean is that whether you have it or you don't, right. Whether you have a lot of wealth or whether you don't have a lot of wealth, whether you have a certain, I don't know, quote unquote status, you know, like high status or a low status, whatever the hell that even means. But, you know, we have an idea sort of in our culture of what that means, but no matter which end of the spectrum that you're on, it can, it can be a negative thing. Does that make sense? Why, why would it be negative? I don't understand. No, no. I mean, it can be, Oh, it can be. It can be. Not necessarily that it will be. Like, it's it's not here nor there because, you know, we're talking about it's like, oh, well, you know, when you have 
all of these things, you know, you can have all these people around you, but it won't fill you. And, but, but I've seen people on the other end of the spectrum who, you know, don't have very much and, and have a sort of a very low status and it becomes, and it becomes something that they define themselves by with as well. Right. That's you great, can define your, yeah, you can define yourself either with, with a sort of your low wealth and low status, or you can define yourself by your high status and high wealth. Either way, if you define yourself by those things, this is my point. If you define yourself by these things, you need to sort of check your, check where you're at. You know, you need to, you need to check your perception on this. Um, because yeah, it's kind of gross no matter like on either end of that. Absolutely. You know, it's just like, you know, because a lot of times people on the, on the low end of the spectrum, it's just like, I have nothing I've, I've got, I can't give you anything. And it's, there's a lot of resentment. There's a lot of victimization of, of themselves that's going on. And while I have compassion for it, it's not necessarily any less compassion I would have for somebody who has a, you know, a ton of money and a high status and they define themselves by that as well. Yeah. Because I'm like, geez, <laughs> you know, like, because I've met people like that too, who it's just like, it's, you know, there, you have a conversation with them and you know, all they, 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 have to talk about is this, like the last sort of like big business deal that they made and how much money they made and this new car that they bought and this new house that they bought. And I'm like, I know literally nothing about you Mm -hmm. other than some shit that you own (laughs) and some money you have in your bank. Yeah. No, (laughs) I get you. I mean, I think, um, I think, uh, when it comes down to having money or not having money, ultimately from an objective point of view, for sure, it's better to, it's better to have money than to not have money. And I, I think, um, cause you just have means, you have more options, you do have more to give. I think, um, when people define themselves by their money or define themselves by their poverty, whichever it might be. Yeah. That's, that's the ego. I mean, the ego is, is like that. It wants you to label yourself. It wants you to limit yourself to some type of description or understanding. But again, I, I, I would still, I still might argue with you on this point, Brandon. All right. <laughs> because like, I understand, yes, on a certain, I guess, yeah, on like an objective point, it's like, oh, well, yeah, the more money that you have, the better, the sort of, the more you can, you can do to a degree. Gotta keep this on ice. Gotta, gotta keep that beer <laughs> on ice. What people might not know is that at some point during the conversation. <laughs> yeah somebody gets up or has to get up to do a refill on the beer. Yeah. Um, so that's what happened. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's so many, there's so many stories to get back to what we were, we were into is that there are so many stories of people who have given up wealth, who've given up everything that they have and own and accept sort of, you know, a life of, of minimalist, whatever. And they're so much happier for it. So it's not, again, it's, it's, it's not necessarily a certainty either way or the other, you know, some people accumulating a lot of wealth is very unhealthy for them. Hmm. And they find sort of joy and peace and service and value in the world by not having that right in a weird way. Right. 
That's all. That's all I'm saying. Just to be sort of devil's advocate on this. No, I hear you. I mean, but I, on an objective, I understand what you're saying. On an objective level, you know, wealth is would be objectively more ideal <laughs> to have. Well, the thing is, it's you know, it's funny because I think we're so narrow-minded about what wealth is. You know, wealth is not just your things and the money you have and what you have in your bank account. I mean, wealth is just having means. I mean, ultimately, if you look back through history, what, what is wealth? It's, it's having some type of currency, some type of means. Um, you know, but it's funny because we look at wealth like, oh, well, wealth is just the amount of money I have. But wealth is, you know, if I have a lot of skills, I have a lot of wealth because I can trade those skills for whatever I need, you know, like, uh, and I would maybe trade the word just to briefly cut you off here. I would maybe trade that word then with abundance. Well, maybe, I don't know. I mean, uh, the thing is, is, you know, that Socrates said that the only people that had any value were the craftspeople were the people who had a skill because they're the only ones that could actually really contribute and do something. And, um, I think, uh, you know, this is, you know, what we've done in our society is that we've traded our, um, desire to be great craftsmen to have some type of, to trade it for a number in a, in a computer account to trade it for yeah. some paper. And we think that the paper and the number in the account is worth more than who we are as people, you know, but, um, you know, back in the day, like when, uh, you know, money couldn't buy you out of every problem. Um, people had to do stuff. They had to take care of stuff. They had to repair their wagon. They had to rebuild their house. They had to do stuff, you know, and, um, they had to be able to cook. They had to be able to hunt. They had to be able to figure stuff out. And the thing is, is that, um, these skills might not be as relevant in our culture today, but the skills that we have as people, the value we build in ourselves, what we can offer, what we can contribute, what we can do, that is the ultimate currency. Um, because you know, they say if you reversed the money, right, if you took all the money that was in the 1% and gave it to the 99% and then, you know, and, and put the 1% in that same position within 10 to 15 years, it would all be back to normal. Anyway, it would all be reversed back. And that's, you know, that's partly true because the thing is, is that, you know, the way that people deal with, they deal with stuff is all in a mindset. I mean, you know, it's, it's all a mindset. So like the way you deal with one thing in many ways is the way you deal with everything. So the way you deal with your money or anything, the the thing is, is I'd say ultimately it's, I think from a, from an objective point of view, okay, it's better to have wealth and money and currency and whatever. It's, it's better to be someone who can do a lot than it is to be someone who can from a very objective point. But you know, some people, if they had a lot of money right now, they would just be major drug addicts. They probably drive themselves to an early grave. So for them in a way, having money and having access to things would not be good at all. So, and, and this becomes a little bit more subjective. And I think this is where we need to like really evaluate ourselves because I think we have this idea that like, oh, if I had this money, you know, this is what I would do. You know, it's so interesting. Like people will say, when I get somewhere, when I succeed or when I get this money, I'm going to help all these people. And then, you know, every once in a while you see someone who does that and then they don't. And they're like, yeah, they're like, well, whatever. Like, you know, like things change, you know, it's like, no, things never changed. You were the same person you were 
when you, but you said that because you wanted to believe that about yourself, but you weren't really that person. And, you know, and that's a really terrible thing when that happens, when someone, uh, when their lies exposed and now they're living denial. Now they're just trying to pretend that they're not that person. But the thing is, is that you, no matter how much money you have, you know, I remember my dad, like my dad, uh, lost everything and then he rebuilt his fortune. But I remember when we had really nothing. And I remember we were, we'd be driving through Vancouver and he'd see a homeless person and he would stop and you would give the money. And, and he would say, you know, it's really important that we make an effort to, to, to be people who give, to not be people who, you know, and, and I was thinking like, man, like we're struggling and we, you know, and I think it's that mindset you know, where you're always looking at like, how can I help someone else out? And when he and I moved to Vancouver and I was 17, uh, there was a homeless man. I don't remember his name, but he used to sit outside the market right where I lived, literally a block away from where I was. I'd see him every day and he'd always ask me for money and, you know, and we'd talk. And then one day I sat down next to him. I walked out of the store and I just sat down next to him and I, you know, I said, I don't have any money today, but he's like, he's like, oh, okay, no problem. And I sat down and I'm like, so how's your day going? And he was just so appreciative that I just sat down and I talked to him, you know, we just hung out for like half an hour and just had a conversation about life. And, uh, you know, he turned out to be this, this guy that was just kind of like struggling. He was down on his luck and he was trying to like, you know, figure some things out. And, uh, and the thing is, is I think what ends up happening is when you start to look at like, I was a 17 year old kid who barely had any money and you know, whatever, but I could offer my time. I can contribute that way. And, um, I think this is the thing is like, when you start to look at your life that way, of course, great things will happen. You will build great things because, you know, it's not just about getting like, it's, I never got anything from him that I could say other than built my humanity, but I, it, it built something in me to do that. So my point is, is that I think that we're wealthier in ways than we know, and it's good to have this wealth. But the thing is, is we trade that wealth in believing that it's only the money we have to offer. It's only these other things we have to offer. If I'm a good actor, if I'm a star actor, I have lots of value. Well, you might not be a star actor, but you might have a lot of value to offer. You know, it's like, and so this whole idea, it's all, it's all contrived. It's all like based on a very minimal, like linear type of view, right? Yeah. That our value has, yeah, is completely monetary. Yeah. It has some sort of a monetary, yeah, parallel to it. Well, people have these, uh, these relationships with money too. I mean, like, you know, uh, we could make, like, I think most people actually could make a lot of money, but they don't value their, the skills they have, right? Like we're taught to believe, oh, well, you need to be a movie star. You need to basically be the best at everything. You need to, you know, whatever. You need to To be be some sort of a genius protege or you need to be, yeah. And we don't realize that, you know, just if you know how to teach, if you know how to speak English well enough to teach it, I mean, and you don't even have to speak that well, you can make a lot of money doing that. You can make a lot of money doing a lot of things. If you love dogs, if you love animals, if you, you know, there's skill sets, there's things that you learned, right? There's all sorts of ways in which we can share a value and trade it and make something out of it. But people get so caught up in like, well, I have to succeed in this one way and this only this one way, you know, um, one of my mentors asked me once, I said, you know, I was scared. I was like, he's like, well, we lost all our money once. I don't want to lose my money again. And he said, well, what would you do if you lost everything? I said, well, I'd be homeless. And I would, you know, and I, I would, you know, whatever. And he said, well, what would you do if you're homeless? And I said, well, I guess I'd be begging for money on the street. And he said, well, 
okay. He's like, you know, how would you do that? And I was like, well, you know, I'd probably come up with a funny sign, you know, I'd probably like, and I started thinking about it, like, you know what, there's all sorts of creativity I would have if it got down to that, yeah. you know? And I, I think the thing is, is what we, we have all these spheres and we don't realize like if you have skills and you have ingenuity and you have like something to offer, you're never without, even yeah. when you have no money, you have, you still have it inside of you. But we, we, you know, when you chase the external world, I think it's great to have access to these means. What I'm saying is, it's good. But if you're empty inside, no means outside will help yeah. that, you know? Yeah. In fact, in some ways, and your point is right, that they will actually hurt you because they, it's like giving a child a knife. They'll just end up cutting themselves with it. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, sometimes you can, you know, it, people have found it to be a very freeing thing, you know, like with all, like sometimes people with a lot of wealth, it means a lot of responsibilities. It means, you know, a lot of payments on that big house and on that boat and on keeping up appearances with this new crowd that they're in. And it's just like, holy shit, you're not free. How are you free? (laughs) You're not, you know, but, and and it is, it's still all a men. It's, it's all completely a mental thing. Yeah. You know, and then you try and, and then you see these people who just completely tank because it's like trying to keep up appearances turns into a nightmare, you know, where people suddenly they, who have no reason why they should, you know, be massively indebted or bankrupt, but they are suddenly it's just like, Nope. (laughs) Yeah. And it all came. And where did it all come from? It came from some, some egotistical sense of value, right? Of, of you being a person of value meant that like, you know, I, I can't wear, wear a suit that's like more than six months old. Mm hmm you know, <laughs> I well, can't you, wear, yeah. Like it's just, you're only valuable so long as you have your things, you get rid of those things and all of a sudden you're not going to feel valuable. Anymore. Yeah. And yeah. often it's like, I want to say because you getting into the story of like, well, what would happen if like you, you were homeless or what would happen if you like, you lost everything, you had nothing and whatever. And it's like, you know, and even to a degree, like this whole thing of you being homeless, well, it's like probably not even the worst that you'd be looking at. You know, I'm sure there's people that, you know, you could sleep on my couch, Brandon. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, you You know, the thing is you don't think about that when you're in your ego fear place. Yeah. You're just picture yourself like starving and a drug addict and like, (laughs) you know, throwing yourself off of a bridge or something. That's like where the ego will take you and it's darkest twisted fantasy. And it'll take you to that before you even get to the point where that would even really be a viable option. Yeah. And that's, and I think some people follow it to that option because before they get there, because they listen to it, you know, they get caught up in this story that it creates. Yeah. But I mean, it's like that place of nothing is often an incredible place where people begin to rebuild themselves right. with a whole new take on what it is to be valuable and what it is to have a joyful life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, I think also like our connections are so important, you know, in life. It's, uh, you know, the way we connect to other people and really truthfully getting to know others and, and building a bond with them is, is the most valuable thing in the world. And I think that, you know, sometimes we get caught up in that we need success or we need wealth or we need this other thing. But the thing is, is all of that without the connection would not be worth it. And I, I know it 
sometimes might seem that way that it would be, but it really isn't. I mean, what really matters is people. And they've proven this over and over. Like if babies don't get held when they're young, they'll die. They'll literally die. They need to be held. Um, and, uh, you know, um, there was, uh, I think it was Russian kids that were basically orphaned, um, who weren't being held as, as children. Oh, ambulance. Uh, I don't know. Um, anyway, uh, they, um, they would grow up and they would have severe issues later in life because, you know, that human connection is so important. And so just because you're an adult and you've like been kind of maybe even well adjusted as a kid does not mean that that stops at some point. You still need those connections. We need that like love and connection is the most important thing in the world. And I think that's why like, you know, people have pets, you know, because pets are a great way for you to have some form of connection, um, when you're not getting it from human beings. But I think it's really important for us to have conversations, talk with each other, connect with each other. And the more that we're not thinking about ourselves and the more we're thinking about others and what we're contributing, the more we'll build those really solid relationships. But granted, you know, don't go out there and just get used because some people will do that. Some people are just trying to take, 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 um, you know, be selective, have, have some integrity about who you choose to connect with. But I think ultimately that's, that's what's most important. And then, you know, with connection, you know, then, then these other things are a nice bonus. Cause then maybe we can do more, but, uh, yeah, I think you can have a lot of money and you can have all these shallow connections and it can be, you know, a, a, a very upsetting existence. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just that, that whole thing. It's like, you can, you know, you could be a billionaire and be absolutely miserable and you could not have a dime in your pocket and be the most joyful human being in the world. Mm -hmm. So what does that tell you? Yeah. Right. (laughs) Well, and you know, uh, it's, you know, it's interesting, like what, what you're, what are you able to experience too? I think, um, you know, with status and position and being in certain crowds, especially like, that's one thing I didn't like about school. You know, when I was, when the cool, I was hanging out with the cool crew for like a brief bit there and you, you, you couldn't, it was harder to be yourself. Yeah. Because you had to fit in, you had to wear the right clothes, you had to do the right things, you had to kind of follow their, you know. And uh, you also had to put up with some bullshit too, because oh, I ra- I ran with with the popular kids for a while too, and it was just like you had to put up with a lot of bullshit too. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you something, you know, there's this guy who I went to school with, and he was dating this girl. So he was dating this girl for ever since I don't know we were like grade six or something all the way until grade 12, high school. And then, uh, one party, um, his best friend quote, uh, you know, he fooled around with her and it was whatever. And then this was either grade 11 or grade 12. I remember. And, uh, and that this guy basically just had to kind of put up with it because not, not accepting it, not like like making a stink about it, he would have been, one of them would have had to be kicked out of the cool group. And the other guy was a little bit more popular. He was kind of like the Brad Pitt of our school. You know what I mean? Like everybody knew him and he, you know, he wasn't really probably moving from that position. He was the stud. He was the stud. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, um, you know, but the thing is, is that I just think about that. I'm like, was, is that what a friend would really do for, to another friend, you know, like, and the thing is, is that and, and then there was no like real integrity with them. And I knew these guys cause you know, I've known them since we were like grade five or grade six. And 
I mean, I don't know them super well, but I just look at that and go, that's what a shame. Like what a shame that you are in this world and that's the world in which you live in. And like, do you think it's going to get any better? Like if you keep living that way, like, you know, uh, people, people like fitting into their groups and then they don't want to leave their group. And I think connection's important, but this is where the integrity element comes in. You know, it's like, don't just hang out with people for company, hang out with people because you really value who they are and they value you and you treat each other well. And if they don't, you know, I don't, I think it's important that we're not scared to walk alone. And I think it's, it's important to walk alone, but I don't think that we should just ever cut out people period. If we have a bad experience with people. And I think when you're young, you're probably, you know, we're probably all going to grow up and have some bad experience with somebody because, you know, I think it's just part of life. And if you don't, well, maybe you're lucky. I don't know. Maybe you're not. But, um, I think we need to have integrity. And I think when you, when you're young, you choose friends because of convenience, because of, uh, you know, how spatially close they are to you. If they're your neighbor, if they go to your school or whatever. And then I think as you get older, if you start making friends, new friends, you start choosing friends, not just like, especially if they're not just your work friends, but people and, and who actually align more with your values. And I think yeah. if you really want to have really true friends, uh, the people you grew up with, hopefully as you grow together, that you all align with each other's yeah. values. And the people that you genuinely connect with. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because like, you know, high school is sort of like this microcosm of society. Yeah. You know, and in its way. And I think it's actually, it's actually a, a discredit. And to, to say that we do not continue those trends afterwards. We do. And it is in these things of like, Oh, the circles that you're in and, uh, you know, the, the money that you earn and like the people that you associate yourself with. I think we still get caught up in that crap, you know, for, for our entire lives, if we're not conscious of it, if we don't finally at some point, and I think people usually do at some point hit a place where they go, what the hell am I doing? Yeah. Like I'm surrounded by people who I don't even like, you know, like I don't like, I don't have a single person that I can really would say I call my friend, you know, like that's one place I would say I'm abundant and I'm wealthy and I have the most incredible friends and like in my life, you know, Mm -hmm. I, people I genuinely connect with Mm -hmm. in my life, you know, you're, I have someone like you who we sit and do (laughs) podcasts and like 50 of them. 50 of them. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, this is, we've gotten onto a real life discussion for this, uh, 50th one. We haven't really like, I think that if you're an artist listening to this, you're like, when's the art? When's the art talk? But I mean, like this is all, this all pertains, you know, this all, this all comes full circle in terms of, uh, you know, having a healthy mentality as an artist, I think. Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, you know, I, I think, um, when I was younger, I was, you know, I went through some struggles with, uh, certain things, you know, like I've, I've had periods where I've had, uh, I'd say like my friendships now are just, I'm really blessed and I'm really solid because I think the people who are in my life now have, you know, have really been, have really chosen me because I align with their values and I've really chosen them because I align with, you know, they align with mine. And, um, but I, I've definitely gone through periods where, you know, um, where, you know, I had challenges and I felt very alone. And as an artist, I thought, you know, oh yeah, my struggle, this is good for my art. 
And I, you know, I don't think it is. I, I don't think um, these, because I think it's a manufactured struggle. I think a lot of the time um, we could solve these problems. You know, if you feel lonely or you feel like, you know, you're hurt from your past or your parents or life or whatever. Um, I think most of those problems, we make a meal out of something that's just, yeah. it's not that big of a deal. And I think like, if we're getting into anything, uh, talking about artists, artistry is, I think, um, we need to, we need to get past our ego and we need to be, um, more real about what's going on. And I think we need to, to be more, um, look at the value we bring and the service we bring and the contribution we bring and build real relationships. And we'll build a real artistic career out of doing that. And I think that's really what we're trying to talk about. But I think it all relates to life because, you know, I think a healthy artist is a better artist, you know, a healthy, mm-hmm. healthy in friends, healthy in loved ones, healthy in mind, you know, healthy in psychology, all of that. Because I think, um, if you're, if you're not healthy in those areas, I think it's going to be a real struggle. And I think mm-hmm. success is not going to solve it. Yeah. And I think being healthy, like it doesn't mean again, that you're, you are free of pain. No, you know, and painful situations arising in your life or painful, um, sort of awarenesses, you know, sometimes a lot of pain comes from new awarenesses, um, that, that, that come up. Um, I don't think it's the absence of that, but it is like, I, I think there's this misconception in, among the artistic community, you know, about like suffering, mm-hmm. you know, that suffering. It's like, like, I remember thinking, in early on in acting school and meeting all these people that it's like, Oh man, like I'm not like, I didn't get screwed up enough in my childhood <laughs> to, to, to be an artist, you know, yeah. like it seems like all of the good artists are like really screwed up, you know, had all of these like horrible things happen in their lives and whatever. And that's a bunch of bullshit. Like it's, it's a complete, it's a complete fallacy. Um, so if you're thinking that <laughs> it's not true, but I mean, when you're in a healthy place, you're able to look at these painful things in a way that is healthy. Mm-hmm. You know, you're able to move yourself through them, but when you become addicted to them, and I think that's what happens to a lot of artists, you become addicted to your suffering as if that's what makes you a great artist and it's bullshit. Yeah, it's, I agree. it's a bunch of garbage. I even had an acting teacher one time say, um, say, we're here to fuck you up and send you home. If you haven't, if you're an actor and you have an acting teacher who says something like that, get your money back and get out of there. <laughs> Not like no joke, like yeah. get the hell out of there. That's nonsense. That is complete nonsense. And they're going to hurt you. Yeah. Like they really will hurt you. Um, I think an acting teacher has no business knowing anything about your personal life. All they need to do their job is to help you figure out how to connect to it in your own way. And, you know, I think that when teachers become like acting teachers, try to become therapists, become a therapist. You're not, you're not, you're not acting teachers are not therapists. You're not there to help someone with their personal life. You know, like I think acting can be therapeutic, but it's not therapy. You know, I've heard acting teachers say that before. And I think that's a good thing when they say that, you know, because I think, um, Yeah. You know, you you know, I, I think about that too, is like dredging up all this stuff that has happened and sharing it with others. It's just, it's not good. It's not good for you. And it creates all this bullshit story about it. You know, and I think, um, when you're, when you're, when you're acting and you know, you're, you're initially beginning, 
least uh, at least I notice this for most actors, and it's not for everybody. But we're we're always trying to get be more emotionally connected to our work. And so, what do we do? You know, if you learn from teachers that say, "Oh, bring up," you know, bring up the story from your past that you know you were hurt and all this stuff, you start really focusing on that to get yourself into these emotional places. And then, you know, now you're now you you know you're you're making a meal out of a situation in your life, and you're making it harder on yourself for the sake of being able to be emotional in a scene. And I think that's that's going to cause you a lot of problems. You know, I, yeah. I, 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 I had the misconception that like, uh, James Dean, River Phoenix, a couple young actors who, who died way too early, who I, who I really liked, um, that they suffered a lot because, you know, that's the way it seemed to me from the way the media and the way I was learning in school and stuff. And it's like, actually, when I look at them and I look at uh, what I've learned about them, they were actually jokers. They joked around a lot. They tried to make um, lightness out of their hard times. Um, you know, and if you know anything about their story, they, they went through some stuff that was challenging, but they, you know, they were goofing around. They were goofballs. They were playful. They were funny. Same with Marlon Brando. Yeah. They, you know, and yeah, uh, Marlon, I suppose, suffered more later in life. I don't know. But the thing is, is that look at what it did to him. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think suffering is actually a good thing. I think that we, you know, I think that's an, that's a, that's not true at all. I don't think yeah. artists should suffer. I think sh- artists should be some, I think what we need to be, not should, but I think it's in our best benefit to be more joyful, more connected, to, to find the humor and the fun out of things, to be champions of the pain we've experienced, not yeah. to be victims of it. Yeah. When, yeah. Cause when we're, when we're joyful, we can like, we can create with that pain. We can use our, our art to, to confront our pains and to release them. Mm-hmm. But sometimes we create an obsession over them. We don't actually release them. You know, no. we hang, we hang on to them. Yeah. Um, and we're afraid to lose them. You know, like yeah. we don't want to let them go because we're like, this is what makes me, it's like, no, it doesn't. It doesn't, you know, like, like your love and your joy for what you do is what makes you an artist. You know what I don't like when actor teachers teach this? And if there's any acting teachers listening to this, I hope you pay attention. Don't fucking teach triggers. That's bullshit. Triggers are temporary. You don't write down your triggers as though it's something that's going to last you for the rest of your life. You deal with that shit. You get done with it. You move on. Another trigger, another thing will come up. And you know what? There's the thing is, is like, what are you going to do? Right? Like, Oh, so like, I remember one of my triggers, one, one teacher was trying to help me have a trigger. And it's like this thing your dad did to you when you were, when you were 12 years old or whatever. And like, just bring that up, you know, or this thing that, you know, that happened with your uncle or whatever. It's like, okay, there's a certain point where I dealt with that. I, and I was like, okay, you know what? I understand why my dad did that. I understand why my uncle did what he did. I understand. You know, they had their reasons if from, from their life, it was making sense from where they were at. Am I going to, do I want to hang on and have hurt and anger? Like everybody was doing their best. You know what I mean? And now I have triggers about other things in my life. I don't need to hang on yeah. to that. Like that's my trigger. And it's and, also one of those things, like, as we've been talking about, it's living in the past. It's totally living in the past. And the thing is, is now the thing is, is I never want to heal that trigger anymore because I need that. I need that so that when that scene comes up, I have that trigger. So then you create an actor that never heals anything that happened in their past. So they have all these problems, but they're all triggers. It's the worst 
in, I just get angry about it. You know, it, it bothers me because you're teaching young people to have triggers. And I think it's a misguided, you know, I don't think the teachers are trying to do a, a, a bad thing. I think yeah. they really think that this is a good way. But if you're working from triggers, stop doing that. You know what? There's so much it, stuff to be upset about, to, to cry <laughs> about in the world that if you just connect to other people's lives, like watch this little kid try to pick up his father as his father's like dying and, and imagine yourself as that little kid. I, I guarantee you, you, you'll, you do that and you really get there. You'll come to tears. You don't need to have that happen in your own life. And you know what? There's so much in the world that we're, we're so robust and so full as artists that to get stuck on one little thing that happened to us when we were a little kid or something like, you know, and I think about some of the girls that were in my, you know, classes who like maybe were sexually abused or they got raped or something. Right. And then they, they, they never heal that, that thing that happened to them in the past. And I think, God, like you're going to give up your whole life to be this actress and you're never going to heal this thing. This thing is going to poison everything in your future. It's going to poison you know, your whole life. Like, and the best thing that you could help them do, a therapist would help them deal with it, would help them, you know, to get through it, to work through it. And if you're dealing with something, go to a therapist and don't think that losing it is going to cost you as an actor. It's actually going to make you better as an actor because there's other things you'll figure out to get connected to. Yeah. And besides, once you so many other ways of doing it, once you heal it, I believe you actually have more access to it emotionally. Yeah. You, you don't, it's not like you lose it, but I think we fear if we heal it, that we will lose access to it. Well, one of the things I found, um, you know, through, through my Meisner training and doing that work and how I sort of relearned to work with my emotions, um, and in a way that wasn't, that wasn't, you know, drudging up stuff from, from my own life, which I had been taught to do, you know, at, at one point, um, to a lot of frustration and difficulty and pain. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, but it was, it was a much more joyful place to work from. Even if I was dealing with emotions that were, that were like deep, deep pain and sorrow and, and anger and rage even. Um, but learning to work from a, like, where that all actually comes from a place of joy. Like that actually exists. It's, it's, it seems completely counter, but it's, it is possible and it's way healthier because Mm -hmm. you just, you just let it go. You know, like you're, when you're in a place of joy, you are sort of in this relaxed place and you're so open to just being like, all right, let's, let's go into this and see, like, see what this is all about. Mm -hmm. And you can just dive into like, like really deep, like into emotions that like, I've never even really experienced in my life before. But I was like, but I'm going to imagine what that might be like Mm -hmm. and really go for it. And it's really wild. Yeah. It's really interesting. And then scenes over and you go, you just kind of like, you shake it off and you're like, all right, I'm good. You know, I wasn't dredging some crap up from my own life. Well, I think also, um, you know, this whole trigger thing, the more you use it, the, the more it changes and the less, you know, it's not consistent. It doesn't work the same every time. Um, sometimes it, it'll really hit you. Other times it won't really hit you. Um, and, and it's, there's so many other things I mean, that, that come along with it. I think, um, the thing is, is when you heal something that happened in the past, 
then you heal it. You feel okay about it in your life. You understand it. You can always go back to like, what was I like back then? Like, how did I think? And then you can, you know, you can, you can try it on. And I mean, in a, in a lot of ways, like I think, uh, I, you know, I think that sometimes people are, people are in a, they keep themselves in a lot of pain for the sake of their art. And I just don't think it's a good thing. I think it's, uh, I think it actually limits you as an artist. I think it restricts your ability. I think it is very inconsistent. I think the price you pay to do it is not worth it, especially because there's other ways to do it. And I think just because you've never done it in another way, don't be scared to abandon it. I think look at your life in that the life that you want to live and and you can have both. You can have the life you want to live and be the person you want to be. And you can, um, be a great artist. I don't think that, you know, it's one or the other. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, if what you were, I think the good measure is always like, is, is that sort of joy and that sort of peace factor, you know, it's like you think of those two things, right. And if what you have learned in how to do it, I mean, I know this is seems seeming very directly to actors. I mean, it's just, that's what we know. But I, again, I'm quite sure that a lot of this exists without a lot within much of the artistic community abroad. Um, but if what you are taught, if the way that you are doing something is not bringing you joy, if it is not bringing you peace, then its entire value should be questioned. I think so. So if it's not doing it, just like, it doesn't matter. Like, who cares? Why hang on to that? If it's yeah. not bringing this, this to you into your work, then take a good look at it. You know, maybe there's just something you need to, to alter in it, or maybe you need to scrap it altogether. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't know. I think, I think for, I think that to have longevity in this, you know, you need to be working from, from a place of, of joy. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise you're, you're going to burn out or you're going to be like a James Dean, yeah. you know, or, or Marilyn. A, yeah. Or Marilyn or River Phoenix or, you know, so many of these, these, these people who, we, who were gone too soon, who we romanticize, but we romanticize for the wrong reasons in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, we romanticize for that suffering. It's like, Oh, look at how pain, how much in pain they were. And it's just like, you know, I, I understand that we connect to that, you know, like I think as human beings, we, we see people like that who created beautiful things, but we're in such deep pain and we connect with that because I think we all feel a great sense of pain in our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, but to, to make that the, the thing that we, that we point as being like the, their shining light was their pain and that's what made them special was their pain is like, no, like it was their joy that we still really at the end of it, that, that we really loved. It's the things that they created mm-hmm. that they gave to us that we loved, not, not the, the horrible sort of demons that they had, no. you know, that can inspire us to deal with and deal with our pains and deal with our demons. Um, to know that these people were still created great things, but in the end, a lot of these people were, they, they destroyed themselves. Yeah. 
Well, you know, you, uh, you know, I mean, we could, we could take this even further. I mean, the way your brain works, if you suffer all the time, if you think about all these dark thoughts and all these negative things all the time and you don't heal yourself, your brain actually builds neurological pathways and, and reinforces them with fatty tissue until the point where it becomes so habitual that you think that way that you can't help but think and be depressed. And so of course you're going to get yourself to a depressed spot if you're doing that. I mean, it's ludicrous that any of us ever would say, I want an acting career or this artistic career so badly that I would be willing to create a psychosis in myself. Someone's celebrating us. Yeah. I don't wonder if they can hear that. Um, but, uh, <laughs> that I would create a psychosis in myself just to be really great at this. I mean, it, 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 it must mean that you are so disconnected from your own value that you would do something like that because you know, why would you live a lifetime of pain to have this brief moment to be captured on a stage or captured on a piece of art or in a film or whatever? Um, you know, it just doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? And I think the thing is, is that no one got into acting cause they're like, this makes me depressed out of my mind. So I'm going to do this for the rest yeah. of my life. They do it because either I think one of two reasons, I think people get into it either because I really like it. I really enjoyed it. It's a lot of fun or I want to be famous. I want to be special. I want to be important. And, um, maybe a little bit of both. And I think that, uh, sometimes the need to be special and important to, to have some legacy, to be famous, to whatever people are willing to basically, um, sacrifice to basically have all this pain. And I think that, geez, I think it's like a, the media <laughs> has basically built this idea into us that, you know, cause it sells to, you know, to have these, like when an actor commits suicide, you know, or has a pill overdose that sells in the newspaper in a weird way, the media benefits from that. You know, they benefit from this way beyond your death and they get to bring it up and they get to do all this stuff. And I don't know if the, the people are necessarily bad people, but like, it is in their best interest for stuff like this to happen. But the problem is, is that these are the messages that get the most coverage. They're the ones that get shared. They're the ones that get spread across everybody. This person died. This is how it happened. All blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And so then what ends up happening is we, that burns an idea into our belief systems. And then we start to believe, oh, well, you know, they were in pain. So that must be, and they were great. So that must be what it's like, Yeah. you know, and we don't remember, um, you know, the other, like, hundred actors in comparison that are also very successful, but are doing fine. You know, that they're, they're not having a problem. We remember that one that had the drug overdose and that really stands out in our mind. And I think what ends up happening is we, the way we remember things and the way we take in data, we, we take in what emotionally impacts us. So you say Robin Williams, he, he dies, he emotionally impacted a lot of people. And then a lot of people, you know, take them Heath Ledger, you know, same thing, right? Like a lot of people it emotionally hits them and they take that on as though it's a part of their belief system. And I just think that, uh, you know, what we need to do as artists is we need to understand that we do this from a place of joy. And I don't think that, I think that one of the benefits of the industry is yes. Um, there, if you're famous, if you kind of move up the ranks, you get to do some great projects with some great people but I don't think that those people want to work with someone that's all stressed out and like negative on set. I think, you know, um, I just think there's, there's this confusion. 
Mm-hmm. And I think there's this glamour about it, um, you know, being the suffering thing and it's not, Yeah. You know? No, it's a romanticized thing for sure. Yeah. Cause I know, cause I've done it. Yeah. You know, I did it at one point. I romanticized that, that kind of thing. And I think when actors succeed, you know, uh, and they, and they do from this place, they, uh, you know, they have a lot of struggles. They like, um, you know, emotionally, I think like a lot of people become drug addicts, they become alcoholics. Uh, they, there's a lot of problems you see in the industry that people don't talk about. And it's, you know, because they're suffering and they're trying to deal with it and they're medicating and they're doing all these things. And you know, you don't hear about that. You know, you don't hear about that in the media until after the person does themselves in with it. You know what I mean? But this is happening. And I just think it's unfortunate because people keep it secret and, you know, they try to deal with it and it's all just a sacrifice because we have a messed up belief system, but we make all our decisions based on our belief system. So if we have faulty beliefs, we make faulty decisions, you know, and they might work in the material world to a degree, but what's the cost? Is it really worth it? And if they don't have to be done that way, then why do it? Nice. Anyway, well, I got a beer here. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you, why don't you, uh, throw that out here? Yeah. So this one, I don't even know how to say it, but it's from strange fellows, a brewery and it's called the Juan Fizz Auger. I think the Juan Fizz Auger. What does that say? J E A U S. Oh, that, <laughs> it almost, Oh, that looks like it's French. Like Jean Fils, Jean Fils, Jean Fils Lager, Jean Fils Lager, because Jean, th- like that's yellow, right? Yellow Fils. I don't know what Fils means, but um, oh yeah, because there's a few, there's a few French words I'm seeing in here. So, <laughs> like so, all, along the whole, like all of their Jean Fils Lager, the Jean Fils Lager, something What's yellow called? lager. And it's called that. Um, so it, uh, yeah. So it's from Strange Fellows Brewery. What do you think? It's, I've been really enjoying this. You ever like it? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like normally lagers, like not, I'm not super crazy about them. Like they're just sort of, there's nothing, they're kind of nothing beers to me, but, yeah. um, mm. yeah, you really seem like you've been enjoying it. It has, um, it has a sweetness to it. It has a sweetness and it has a little bit of a, almost like a spike, kind of like wine in a way. I don't know if you know. Yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But it's still like really crisp and refreshing and yeah, it is super crisp. It's super crisp, refreshing. It's nice little summer beer and it's a little bit different. You know, it's not like, uh, it's like you can really tell it apart from other lagers. Yeah. 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 It's kind of got, I feel like it's got a little bit of a honey thing happening with it, but, uh, I can see that, but it's really good. Um, yeah, I don't know. Do you want to wrap it up? I, I think so. I mean, Man, we went is, on a bunch of rants we about s- random shit. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that, man, what a great, uh, what a, what a great 50th podcast. Yeah, sure. It was, we covered a lot of stuff. I think we talked a lot about life and I think that's an important part of this show is to, you know, as artists in this industry, I think our, our personal lives and how we are outside of just what we do. I think is important. How we live is important. And I think that's a lot of what we talked about. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that, um, yeah, like for me, like what we're talking about and especially over the last little while, it seems like what we've been talking about is, is about being healthy people. <laughs> like in general, like how being a healthy person is going to help you as an artist, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to help 
free you. It's going to help you create, um, in, in a happier and, and more joyful place and allow you to explore territories and, and just put into perspective the things that, you know, you can control and the things that you can't. And, and yeah, and like, and, and where our heads are at and, and what is it that we're really looking to, to have in our lives through our work? You know, is it, is it recognition? Is it all of these things? Do we just want to be joyful in our life? I mean, we've talked about, you know, in the podcast today about, you know, wealth, like whether you have it, whether you don't, and what does that, does that really mean anything and all of that? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, these perspectives are, whether you agree with us or not, you know, they're important things I think to, to look at. And I'm not going to sit here in like, I'm some guru and say that I've got it all figured out. I don't like, I've got a shit ton to learn (laughs) about myself and about how I create and how I work. And, you know, and, and I hit my, I hit moments of, of pain and, you know, like getting down on myself, like through the course that we've, that we've recorded these podcasts, you know, I've had my ups and downs through all of it. Um, and you know, and I've tried to learn as much as I can from these things. And, and a lot of what, you know, we talk about is what, what I sort of come away with in, in these events. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm not immune to any of this stuff. And, Mm -hmm. and, but you know, you come out with these nuggets and and that's why we sort of share these things and maybe they'll help somebody and maybe they won't. Um, and I think the other thing that I really want to just cap this off in terms of our discussion was just what we were finishing everything off of is like, especially for the artistic community is don't be addicted to your suffering. Hmm. Don't be addicted to your pain. Don't be addicted to your past. Um, that's, it's, it's not, it's not helping you. You know, you can, you know, learn what you can learn from it, you know, but that's one of those areas where you can, it's good to be objective, to try and be objective about, you know, and detached from that past in a sense and just be like, okay, you know, learn what you can from it, right? you know, and let these things go, let these things go because they, for the most part, they, they don't really serve to help you create. Right. They only, they only serve to make you more ego minded in how you create, you know, or completely bring up barriers from you, barriers for you from creating. Mm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's for me what this, this bad boy has been about. (laughs) Well, you know, I'd say that was going to wrap it up with something I would say, uh, you know, if you're, if you're pursuing a career in the arts, I mean, I, I, I would think that you do it because you have something to say and something to express and because you enjoy it or you, you like doing it. So, um, you know, I think, uh, there's easier ways to make money. (laughs) Really there are, I'm telling you. Um, so, you know, if you, you know, if you're doing it, um, I think, uh, and you're going to, and you want to do it for your life. I think that the thing is, is that it's, it's coming from some place of like, you have something to say and you, and you enjoy it. So really connect to that. And I think, um, 
um, you know, the whole thing about suffering and, and, and your past, I think it's, uh, it's fine to use in the moment, but I think that, um, you know, it's something that you don't, you don't want to hang out and relive all of your life. You know, uh, you can always go back to where this moment was in your life, but I don't think, um, I don't think you need to hang out there. And I think that there's so much more to the world than our own lives too. And I think that if we focus too much on our life and our past and we dredge up our past, it's, it's just the ego being reinforced because it makes your world very small. I mean, you know, go learn about some other people's struggles, you know, go, go find out what other people have been going through. And, you know, when I was a young man, like in my teenagers, I, I, I remember thinking that the stuff I experienced was like rare. Yeah. <laughs> and then I remember I did this workshop called the mastery and I realized, whoa, like people have experienced stuff that I only thought was like in movies or only thought was on the news. You know, I didn't even think that really happened really. And then I was right next to people in that room, you know, that like, and then since then, like, you know, realizing around the world, like what's happened, you know, in people's lives, you know, uh, and I think that as artists, it's, it's in our best interest to make our world very big, to start to connect to all of humanity and not just ourself and not just our social circle, but to really see what's going on for other people. And I think that if you really want to have access to what you're capable of, it's in, it's, it's outside of yourself. And I think that further, the note that I would want to leave everybody with really is that just look at how you can contribute and what value you can offer and what you want to create in the world. Stop looking at what you can get and, and, and how you can get somewhere. You will get, you will get wherever you need to be. You'll get somewhere great. If you look at how you can be of value, how you can serve, how you can, um, contribute. And I think that you'll find a lot of fulfillment and joy out of that because you'll see yourself as valuable because you actually will be valuable as opposed to when you're focused on yourself and you're not offering any value, but you're trying to find value. Like you're trying to be, you're trying to, you're wondering if you're valuable or not. Meanwhile, you're not contributing any value or you don't even know what value you're contributing. Of course, you're not going to feel valuable, but if you're contributing a lot of value and you see yourself contributing a lot of value, you're going to know your value because you're going to know this is the contribution I offer. And I think about, uh, and, and I relate to sports sometimes, but I'll just throw this in when you're on a team and you play a certain position, you start to learn, you know, or if you're in the military, I wasn't in the military, but I've, I've heard a lot of this from, from people who are in the military. You learn what you contribute. You learn what you can do and how, what your job is and what your role is. And you know, and you count on everyone else doing their job, but you know that your contribution is your job and you're valuable in that job. And it's not about who's better or worse. It's about doing your job really well, because that's what needs to get done right now. And you do it to the best of your ability. And I think that, uh, you know, I think that as actors, directors, painters, musicians, whatever, you're a singer, you're a guitarist, you're, you know, you're an actor, you're a director, you're a writer, everybody contributes. So just figure out what are you contributing? Don't focus on how, what it means about you focus on what you're contributing. And that's, that's, that's what I'd leave everybody with because I think that's the most important thing and everything else is just helping you contribute. That's all it is. Fantastic. Yeah. I love it. All right. Well, I feel like we should do a toast. Let's do a at toast. The end of this. Okay, 50th podcast. 50th podcast. Cheers. Cheers. 
That was our show for today. Thanks a lot for listening and being a part of this. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. Or you can learn more and message us at www.thebndpodcast.com. Oh, and make sure to leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. That will really help us out a lot. It definitely will. Thanks.